Welcome to the Monsters and Treasure Podcast, where we talk way too long about a topic, but only give you the best parts. I'm K.R. King of D&D Homebrew, here as always with Daniel of Bandit's Keep. Hey, Daniel. Hey, K.R., we have some special guests. Oh, actually, I guess they're calls. Can they be considered special guests? Sure. And then after that, we're going to get into a highly controversial topic, just the sort I love. All right, we have a call here from David. I think this is a first-time caller, but I have a terrible memory, so let's see. Hi, Daniel and K.R. I'm uh, calling in about the episode where everyone agrees with Daniel and talking about movement, speed, and combat. Um, uh, I play a lot of 5E at the moment, about half Theater of the Mind and half Miniatures, and I've always found they're kind of two totally separate games. If you're Playing a dwarf with 25-foot movement, you can end up one square short, which never happens with Theatre of the Mind because the DM hand waves it. Uh, likewise, in basic, if you win the initiative, you may end up choosing not to move and have the enemy come to you on their turn. Um, what I really wanted to talk about was OD&D, you were able to melee attack any creature within one inch or ten foot. Um, when I started fencing, sorry, when I started D&D, I was a fencer, and I really like that fantasy of being able to move back and forth and around and be mobile. Um, and I think that's worth some, something worth considering when playing OSC or basic. Well, those are two interesting concepts. I, I do agree that, you know, obviously when you're on a miniature board and you have movement and there it is, you check off the movement as opposed to a theater of the mind thing where sometimes you just say, this is how far. I mean, but again, you can just say, well, you're 30 feet away and you can't make it as a dwarf theater of the mind you know you whatever distance you've you've appropriated but i i know what he's saying where there there is that thing with miniatures where there it is this is how far away you are this is your movement rate uh the thing about the fencing in the 10 foot that's a great uh concept uh the the thing about that is what i've noticed with players if you use 10 foot squares sometimes they'll they'll want to get around people if you have flanking well there's all sorts of stuff that players will do that you don't get as much if you have the five foot squares but again you just tell them, you just set the parameters for what that is, say theater of the mind, or if you're using 10-foot squares with miniatures, and they just have to live with that. But the idea that, you know, you're back and forth in a hex and everybody's coming back and forth and, and crowd, crowding into each other, if you can figure out a way to work that, it, it can be totally cool. Yeah, I think it's much more difficult to pull off, like I said, with figures, because people literally can see it and they're like, oh, hold on, that I can stay exactly here. So, yeah, yeah I think it, I, I like it. Um, I think I may have even mentioned it, maybe I didn't, but I, I like the idea of not, like, it, the way I do it, when somebody's in a melee, they're in a melee. If you're within 10 feet of them, you're pretty much in the melee, so you can attack anybody in the melee. I don't worry, this is theater of the mind, I don't worry exactly where they stand. But of course, when I'm using miniatures, I don't do that. And I will say, because we've talked about miniatures a little bit, uh, in the past, that when I'm doing, because I'm using chainmail combat, as D, as OD&D suggests, <laughs> and when I'm doing the more abstract troop combat, I almost always do that theater of the mind, and I don't worry about, like, exactly where people are standing. As we're getting more into doing the more precise man-to-man combat, where it does matter a lot more, I am 100% keeping track of exactly where they are, and I'm trying to use more miniatures. Uh, although, it, it tends to be fights go by so fast that it's almost not worth it, but, you know, we're getting into it. It's pretty fun. So yeah, that's great. I, I love the idea of moving around. I, I I love these concepts where you can, you know, that seem great on paper. And I, and I wonder, right? Like that does make sense, right? You can attack anybody within 10 feet of you. And AD&D goes as far as to say that when you're in a melee, you can't even pickle your attack. 
you know, that's to me, that's like it's uh, you're not you're not facing off against one person. Everybody's jumping around, attacking whoever's near them. And to me, that reminds me a lot more of like a big scene you might see of a battle, like in The Lord of the Rings, where people you're just swinging left and right. And, you know, what order are you hitting? What order are you hitting? You know, this idea of like more precise stuff is just interesting, right? It's different. It's like I shoot one arrow. OK, that orc's dead. All right, I'm going to turn and face that orc and shoot them like it's a cool way of playing, but it's just a different way. And again, I think that was a response to people saying what you're saying. If you look at battles, if you think about medieval battles, it was just a melee and a mess and a, you know, striking. So let's have our rule system do that. And uh, why that fell away after AD and D, I'm not sure, you know, just things went back to picking your target and, and, and hitting that target. You, you select a target kind of thing, just like the old days. So it just didn't last, obviously. And probably there's yeah. systems out there, again, there's so many systems, where that kind of thing occurs, you know, the 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 total chaos of battle kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I think that for a lot of people, it's probably not that fun to do that, right? They want to know they're moving their miniature or they're, in their mind, they're fighting that one at work. They just see it differently, right? The, they don't want to go... Oh, okay. I attack three times if you have three attacks, <laughs> you know, and you hit three different orcs and you don't kill any of them. Like they don't want to know that, right? They want to be able to focus fire until that one orc's dead, then turn and because it's a game, right? And you want to win the game on the start. Oh, I said win D and D, we're getting in trouble. But I think that's Uh-oh. part of the mentality of it. Daniel <laughs> said it, not me. You agree with Daniel on that? But no. <laughs> the other thing is, oh, that orc got injured. I want to strike at that orc, right? Because I can kill it. And you're like, no, no, no. You just that's what, let's see which one it was. You know, again, that yeah. can be unsatisfying. Unless you just come in and you say, this is the way it works. Yeah. So be, be ready for it. You know what I found? This is interesting. Again, I can only uh, go from my own experience is that I found over time, my players, when I, if they're fighting a bunch of orcs and stuff, usually I'll just be like, all right, you attack the first person attacks. And, uh, and I'll be like, all right, you hit that orc. I'll go to the next person and say, you're going to attack. And almost never do they say, I attack that same orc unless they set it up front. Usually they'll just be like, well, whichever one's closest to me. Because I think they understand and like the idea that they can't just do that focus fire. Because once at first it sucks. I got to tell you, if you're used to playing a game where everybody's just like, kill the wizard in the back, we'll just stand here, nobody bothers us. You think that's awesome. But then when you start playing this and you realize there's a bit more strategy to it because you can't really do that all the time, it does change the way you play. And I think it can be really fun. So if people aren't used to playing that way, it might be a fun thing to try. Well, the other thing I would say is if the strategy is to kill the wizard first, the wizard's going to have a counter strategy to that as well, well yeah, of right? Course. So that's the old which chicken or egg kind of thing. The one thing I usually say there is I just look at the player when like an orc is trying to hit them with a mace and they go, I shoot my bow at the wizard in the back. I say, you just ignore the guy with the mace in front of you. And usually they attack the orc. Yeah. And, and that would be, uh, that's where you get into, I'm going to take and absorb these hits while I'm doing something for a strategic or you know, gamey kind of thing. Come on. There, there's an element of, so, so thank you, David, for calling in. Really appreciate it. But speaking of winning at D&D, uh, here's Jason. Hey, guys, Jason here. Just listen to players do what they want to do. And, man, players ruin everything, huh? How much easier would this whole game be without players? I'm just kidding. I love that. And because players are always going to make those odd choices, I mean, obviously, you as a DM, when you kind of design things, you think of, you kind of, or at least I, game things out in my head ahead of time. I think, well, if they go do this, maybe this will happen. If they do this, that'll happen. But generally, I design problems without solutions for this reason. Because if I don't design a solution or I just design a bunch of factions and then don't and and just let it play out naturally, the players can't ruin my plans because I don't have any plans. And I'm just allowing the world to progress normally 
and reacting to what the players do. You know, I mean, the villains have their plans and they're going to move forward if they're not interrupted, but th- there's less disappointment if you don't have set go- set solutions in mind. Well, really a good call as always from Jason and uh, some great things there about, I agree that villains or your your adversaries have, they're just like in the real world where you so this is my objective that I'm trying to get to, but I don't know what's going to happen when I meet X group like the players and I'm going to have to react to it. I mean, this is a classic thing too about die rolling, right? Where it, you don't think they're going to roll three twenties or whatever that is, or they right. don't think they're going to do something. And then it happens, right? Cause, cause truth <laughs> is stranger than fiction and bizarre things happen. And then you have to react. The players have to react or you as a GM and your, your bad guys. So um, I think it is right to say the players are driving the action and the, your your adversaries are reacting to it in a lot of ways because otherwise you get into railroading. One hundred percent. I think the create problems, not solutions thing is a good is a good mantra uh, if you can. You know uh, what I used to do, and I sometimes still do now because I I feel bad sometimes. Like I'll, I will make a note. I'll say something like, if they foolishly go after the vampire lord and uh, he defeats them, he will not kill them. He'll keep them as well. Like I make that decision ahead of time, like what the vampire Lord might do if the players do something foolish, because that stuff does happen. Cause I used to feel bad if like they just killed him. Cause that's the obvious thing, right? It's like, you'll get those guys on Twitter. They're like, well, why wouldn't you stand over the PC and keep hitting him with your sword? You know, it's like, uh, you know, I, I like to have a motive, but that's more of a motivation, I guess. So, cause it's not really different than what Jason's saying. It's just kind of like this guy wants thralls. He's not going to kill the PCs. I usually make a note like that. Well, and this could be a whole topic because I agree with you 100% that if I have a, if the players either through their own, you know, bad play or whatever, or just they make a mistake or the encounter isn't balanced or there was a surprise, something like that, I always have a little caveat. It's way more interesting for them to have a reason to capture you and, uh, excellent, now I will use you as X, right? And instead of just, he kills you all, TPK, roll new character. Well, yeah, and I think that actually mirrors the fiction better as well if you're considering the player characters as heroes and not just like random people walking through the woods. So thank you, Jason, again. Um, it looked as though you might have agreed with both of us, but you never know. Right, finally. So uh, you can find Jason at the Nerds RPG Variety Cast. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. I do not know if David has a podcast. If he does, I will find it. Otherwise, thanks again, David, for calling in. All right, KR, so uh, in an attempt to have people not agree with me, uh, I'm going to say, <laughs> no, we were just talking about like a good or bad, right? You hear a lot of people say there is no good or bad GMs or players, right? They're just good for your table, bad for your player, bad for your table. But I wonder, like, if we were defining what would be good or bad, and, and can we? And do you think it matters if somebody's good or bad at playing? Yeah, I think it it does make a big difference. And what I would ask people that say that there's, there isn't any good or bad, just what you like, when when you had to leave a table, when you especially online where it's easy to leave, did you leave just because, oh, it wasn't my style of game, or did you leave because you felt like one or all of the players were not, you know, good that the kind of players you wanted to play with, so they're not good to you, or the GM was not good? Because I don't think it's necessarily knowing the rules. That can be annoying when someone doesn't know the rules, they make no effort to learn them. They're you're waiting for them constantly. That's the classic example of a bad player. And people know that they get nervous when they don't know the rules and they're trying to figure out what to do because they know, oh, I'm going to be a bad player. I'm talking about people that the ethos, their ethos they're going at just doesn't work. They're disruptive, they're rude, or the GM is clearly playing favorites or he's doing classical stuff that I would consider 
bad. I wouldn't consider that. Right. Oh, I like a game where they play favorites and I'm on the outs. That's super fun, right? Who would say yeah. that? I mean, maybe maybe <laughs> there are people. It's a masochist. Well, but, you know, I, I, that's a really good point. And I think what's interesting there is, right, so if we're talking good, bad for like, let's say, play style, maybe you like a more uh, rules by as written or you like a more loose, that's kind of the what table works for you, right? But there is, I think there are some defining things, like you're saying. If you have a, you sit down at a table, even me, if I sit down at a table and one of my friends is running and they're clearly giving me all the treasure and they're clearly, you know, screwing the new people, I would not think that was a good way to run the game. And it would bother me because, uh, you know, I would say that's not a good way to run. Being unfair is not good. To be fair, it makes you a good referee or GM or DM. To be unfair makes you a bad, in my opinion. Like I think that's pretty um, pretty cut and dry, although some people will probably argue what's fair and unfair, right? And then as a player, look, this is the GM. This is their world. And uh, you you can get mad about rulings or you can decide that, that if that's unfair. But on the other hand, Maybe it, I mean, it's just how they run things. You have to accept that and you have to work within that framework. And so, you know, a player that holds it just like, I don't like this and, and is undermining and saying this is not fair and they won't let go of that. That's problematic. You, you just leave the game if you think it's being unfair. And I often think that when you think that something's unfair initially and then you kind of go along and you might go, well, even though that might have been a little bit, I like these things that the GM does. So, and I like the people that I'm playing with. So I'll just keep playing the game and it recedes, you know, even though you might've said, Oh, that's bad. That's not good. So there's so many factors involved and I'd love to hear from people what they consider good and bad GMs or referees, good and bad players, because, you know, uh, there is the classic player that takes forever to do something. And we're all waiting and waiting. And, and, you know, to me, that's a bad player because (laughs) especially if they are, if they know the rules, it's like, what are you, what, why are you sitting there? What, let's go. Let's, we got to keep moving, right? So, but, but, but that's my, maybe my pet peeve. Yeah. I don't know what you feel about that. No, I, I think that's interesting. I feel like, right, uh, that one might fall more for me into the context of what the game, right? Because I think some games you do take a long time to make moves and some you don't. If you're playing a game like I run OSR games, so I do a quick around the table of what people are doing. I say, what are you doing? And then somebody's like, Malay, missile, I'm casting a spell. Uh, well, you know. My character was brought up in a farm and they're thinking like that's that's taking too long. And, and, and you know, if they consistently do it, then I think I could consider that bad. But I feel like sometimes people just slip into that by mistake. <laughs> so I, I think that part of it. But if it is a game, that's like more let's say you're playing, I don't know, a war game, which obviously we're not talking about. And you have time to move your troops and you're able to measure things. And you're able to figure things out as long as it's not ridiculous. I think it's fine. I've actually heard people like literally put timers on the table, which I think is absolutely terrible. So I'm going to put that in my bad GM thing. This is probably going to be controversial. So here we go. I do not like rules or mechanisms in games that make your players feel like they're children. Whenever I hear that a rule is to keep the players moving, to make sure they don't have outside talk, to keep them to... If your players aren't engaging in the game, there's something else wrong there. Putting a timer on the table is not going to be the solution, in my opinion. That's just me. That is one of the worst ideas I've ever yeah. heard. So, yes, mm-hmm. why, you know, again. Go look for um, the YouTube videos with half a million views that all suggest that. <laughs> oh, man, so here you go. Uh, you know, but I, I have a player currently who takes a long time uh, to make decisions. Everyone so far has been very, um, I have one player that says, we got to keep moving. Got to keep going, but that's about it. And then I have another player who does reckless things. And I noticed the last session, there was a little bit of a, a rumble in the group. So because I'm also, I was giving them some breaks, but if he's going to run up and I say that 
the thief discovers a trap, a pressure plate, he runs up and steps on it. That's what he does. And so I, I'm going to have to just, you know, okay, you're disintegrating or whatever. I mean, I'm not going right. to be that ridiculous, but I'm just going to well, have to have, I, I got to set things up so that he needs to learn trap, not to yeah. do that, right? Right, because the appropriate, I think the appropriate action, right, the trap is, let's say, a pit trap, they fall in, right, not disintegrate that, right, I know you're joking when you say that, because one thing I don't yeah. like, too, that's kind of bad advice, that, and I say this when I run through my favorite system for learning D&D, which is BX, one of the pieces of advice they give you, I think it's in the expert book, is that if players are getting out of hand to send some high-level NPC to kick their butt or whatever, don't do that. Like, that becomes, that I, I find that to be a bad GM move. If somebody is disruptive in their play style, that's something that has to be discussed outside the game. you got to be, listen... That character is not fitting in to what we're doing here. You need to tone it down or play a different character because that's just not going to fit this group. Uh, it is the way I would approach that. I think that doing it in game can be, unless they literally are doing something in game. Obviously, if they run up and set up a trap, then, you know, that's on them. But if they're just being disruptive in general, um, I think that that's more of an out of conversation. So I think that's probably falls into the good GM. To me, it would be somebody who is working with the players outside the game to make sure that everybody, and again, it's not their job to make it everybody has fun, but make sure that everybody at the table is getting what they want out of it, right? We're a group, we're a team, we're all playing together. Like, what do you guys like? What don't you like? Let's That that I think is a good quality. It's something I try to do. I don't always do it, but I try to do it, <laughs> is get outside the game conversation. Like actually be friends with the people you play with is the is the goal, right? Yeah, I mean, those can be uncomfortable, right? Because mm-hmm. you, you are clearly saying like they think, oh, are people talking about me and saying this yeah. is no good or well, you're against me and how's this going to change things? I agree. I mean, the only time I would have a powerful NPC is if the players are being murder hobos, recklessly right. killing people. And yes. I could come up with a plausible connection to this serf, this peasant, and who's who runs the place. Right. And they're a lord and they send, you know, their lieutenants over to say, what are you guys doing? You know? So, yeah, but, but it has to be in game. It can't just be, okay, this is really making me mad. So 10 wyverns fly over and begin blasting, you know, it's like, well, really, that's, you know, it's it's a classic rocks drop, right? Like rocks fall, what I would say, right? Everybody dies. That's, that's, that's what I'm talking about. Not, not obviously something in world consequences to people's actions are important. And I think that's a good quality. So I guess maybe we can reframe this slightly as we get to the end of it and say, uh, Maybe call us, let us know what you think are good qualities, bad qualities, but also just stuff that you like or don't like that maybe doesn't make somebody good or bad, but maybe isn't your taste. Exactly. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to hear your voice on the show, give us a call. There's a link in the show notes. You can find us both on YouTube, KR at D&D Homebrew and myself at Bandits Keep. Those are all linked in the show notes. And if you'd like to support the show, please give us a rating and a review on your favorite podcatcher. We'll see you next week.